invite you at this time to turn in your Bibles to uh, Philippians chapter 1. Be considering verses 3 through 11 this evening. So Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. As you recall, last week we considered uh, who we are, that our fundamental identity in this life as those who have dual citizenships, we belong to this world and ultimately to the world to come. Our fundamental identity is that we are in Christ. And this week, as we turn to Paul's thanksgiving and prayer, we will see that one of the benefits of belonging to Christ is that God is at work in our lives through the Holy Spirit. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all are making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with a fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. May the Lord write his word upon our hearts this evening. Well, 18th century English hymn writer once described the Christian life like that of April weather in England. He said that the sun is merely a prelude to the next rainstorm. Or to put it in terms closer to home, the Christian life can oftentimes feel more like the weather of the Pacific Northwest than the Southwest. What is being described here is the fact that discouragement, discouragement is something that's an ongoing battle in the life of the Christian. For instance, discouragement can come when we consider our own sanctification. It's slow, you have many stumblings, setbacks, Or even in the church. The church is a great blessing, but it also is a place full of sinners who struggle with pride, sanctification. Well, these struggles, these things are not only true of us, not not only true of every church throughout the ages, but they're even true of the Philippian church, a church that was planted by the Apostle Paul himself. In fact, one thing that you'll notice in the weeks to come as we consider Uh, these passages, especially in the first half, is how many times the Apostle Paul is exhorting the Philippians to humility. 
you're kind of left wondering, these people must have really struggled with pride. You even see a division that was taking place in the Philippian church. In chapter 4, we see that Yodia and Syntyche, two prominent members of the church, maybe even founding members, they may have been with Lydia uh, in Acts 16. Um, they may have been part of the first converts of this church. They, they were struggling with a great division, a conflict. So Paul in our passage this evening is seeking uh, to give the Philippians and us some encouragement. And even though there are, there are many things in our Christian lives that can be discouraging, Paul is wanting us to remember that at the same time there are still many reasons to be encouraged. To put it another way, Paul is wanting to remind us of the sun, to give us a little bit of sunshine in the midst of this Christian life. And remember that even when the clouds come, the sun is still shining. So Paul's encouragement in this passage consists of two main things, which I'd like us to consider. He first praises the Philippians' love, and then he praises the Philippians' God. So Paul's encouragement consists of, of praising the Philippians' love and praising the Philippians' God. So first, I'd like us to consider Paul's praise of the Philippians' love. One thing that's very evident right away in these first few verses of our passage is Paul's gratitude and affection for this congregation. It's just brimming over. He has a deep bond with this congregation that is, is so evident. You'll see that his gratitude to God for them is constant. In verse 4, he says... Always, in every prayer, he's giving thanks for the Philippians. You'll see that it's joyful. For you all are making my prayer with joy, he says in verse 4. See that it's intensive. Verse 8, he yearns for the Philippians with the affection of Christ Jesus. You wonder, well, what's Paul's gratitude focused upon here? Well, Paul's gratitude is focused on the Philippians' love. Paul's wanting to specifically commend and praise the Philippians' love that they're displaying for the church and for the gospel ministry. If you look with me at your Bibles in verse 5, we see that Paul is saying that he's grateful because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So the Philippians' love looked like... Uh, Partnering, partnering with Paul as Paul seeks to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Well, what did this partnership look like? Well, if you look at verse 7 with me, we read that the Philippians were partakers with Paul of grace, both in his imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So the Philippians, they didn't just stick with Paul during the good times. When Paul was out planting churches, gaining converts, building up this great resume, it would have been pretty easy to support the apostle during those times. The Philippians supported Paul even in his lowest moments, when Paul was sitting in shackles in a Roman prison. When most people deserted Paul and turned against him, the Philippians had his back. Furthermore, we read in chapter 4 that the Philippians sent some sort of monetary gift to Paul when Paul was in need. And in chapter 2, we read that Epaphroditus a member of the Philippian congregation delivered this gift personally to the apostle. 
And going from Philippi to Rome would have been an arduous journey. It would not have been easy. In fact, we even read that Epaphroditus risked his life. He grew very ill and he almost died in order to minister to Paul personally. So we see the Philippians' love for the church, for the gospel, as they sought to partner with Paul, as Paul was doing this very unique task, as he was in some sense finishing Jesus' ministry and bringing the gospel to the very ends of the earth. And brothers and sisters, I think it's very fitting to affirm you all at this moment. It's interesting in the Lord's providence how this passage came up so early on in my time here. But I think it's, it's, this passage is affirming as you all are seeking to partner in the gospel and being a part of a reformed church plant. Obviously, there are, there are joys and blessings in being a part of a church plant, but there are challenges. There are things that are less than ideal. It can be a sacrifice to one's time, energy, and resources. Kids, there may not be as many children your age here. But by doing this, by being a part of a group like this, this is a way in which you are partnering with the gospel. In a way similar to the Philippians, as they sought to partner with Paul. You know, every established and healthy church has had a beginning much like this. And these churches, these established healthy churches, only exist because of people like you, people who are willing to partner in the gospel in these infantile stages. So as Paul is wanting to commend and encourage you all in your gospel partnership, he's also wanting to call you to continue on. Continue on this life of love for the gospel and for the church. If you now look with me in your Bibles at verse 9 which is the beginning of Paul's prayer for the Philippians. In verse 9, Paul says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Now, Paul is not passively rebuking the Philippians, as if he's too um, not bold enough to explicitly rebuke them, so he's just going to pray for them. That's not what Paul's doing. He just got done praising their love for the gospel, so he sought to partner with them. Paul does not want them to be content in the fruit that they've been displaying. He wants them to continue on, continue on this life of love. So that's why he's praying that their love would continue to abound, to grow. But what does this abounding love look like? I think most of us recognize that it's oftentimes difficult to see our own love, our own sanctification growing in this life. It seems like nothing's really happening sometimes, especially when we look at our lives from a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. But boys and girls, our growth in sanctification, our growth in love, is oftentimes like how you grow taller each and every day and week and year. But you can't really see your growth on a day-to-day basis. But over years, you can see that you've actually grown quite a bit. I remember growing up, my parents had a measuring wall in our laundry room. And our tradition is, was that every first day of school, we would be measured. I remember how fun it was to be able to see how much I grew that year or how much I've grown from two years ago. And our growth in love is similar to this. It's hard to see our growth on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. And Paul recognizes that. But he wants to see growth over, you know, over the years, over the decades. So Paul is praying that our love would abound, would grow more and more. And notice 
how Paul describes this love. He, he says that this love is meant to be accompanied by knowledge and all discernment. These words are pretty straightforward. Knowledge is our understanding of, of Christ, the gospel, and, and God's law for us. Discernment is practical wisdom, this knowledge applied to everyday, our everyday lives. But what's hard is to keep this in the proper balance, that we would have love and a knowledge and discernment. And I think there are many churches today who don't get this balance right. The churches that, that have love, but they don't have that knowledge. And so they're kind of like that fishing boat in the middle of a, uh, the ocean at, at storm. It's just tossed to and fro. There's nothing to anchor them. There's really no substance to their love. But then there are other churches that, that have knowledge, but their love is lacking. They might have the, the creeds and confessions, and they might be doctrinally precise, but they lack the love and the warmth that these truths are meant to create in us. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that a love, or knowledge without love, just, just puffs up our pride. So Paul's saying we need both. We need a love that's wedded to knowledge and discernment. And again, I think it's very fitting to, to affirm you as a group here. My little bit that I've gotten to know you, you really seem to have, be a group that, that has a love with knowledge and discernment. See, not only to be a confessional church, a church that's grounded in, in our Reformed tradition, but a church that seeks to be loving and warm and friendly. This is part of the reason I'm so excited to be here, to be a part of what the Lord is doing here in Gig Harbor. I think we need more and more churches that have a love that's coupled with knowledge and discernment. So Paul is saying, continue on. He's wanting to commend you, commend you in your gospel partnership, commend you in your love that's informed with knowledge. Well, just as literal fruit and vegetation on this earth is evidence to us that the sun is still operative in our universe. Well, so too, as Paul is praising the Philippians' fruits of love, he wants them to also recognize that this is evidence that God has been at work in their lives. So now I'd like us to transition to Paul's second point of encouragement, which is Paul's praise of the Philippians' God. Now, if Paul ended this passage by only praising the fruit that he sees in the Philippians, this wouldn't be that encouraging. But now he praises God, who is and will continue to be at work in the Philippians' lives and our lives. This is really the crescendo of this passage. You'll notice that Paul particularly praises the fact that God is a God who finishes what he starts. God is a God who finishes what he starts. It's interesting, we are the very opposite of this. We are not like this. I'm sure all of us here have unfinished projects, some of us probably more than others. And we've all probably experienced close friends or family who were once committed to us, have turned their back on us. We are not a people who finish what they start. But God, God is not like us. He sees us through to the end. He truly has no unfinished projects. If you look with me then in your Bibles at Philippians uh, 1 verse 6, Paul expresses another note of, of gratitude. He's ultimately thankful that 
we are trusting in a covenant-keeping God. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says God is the one who both begins our Christian life and he finishes our Christian life. He's the starter and finisher of our faith. Boys and girls, we, we just got done considering in our catechetical instruction what true faith is. But who is it that gives you faith? Why is it that you believe in Jesus? Well, Paul is saying it's not because you really wanted to believe in Jesus. It's not because you were actually a really good person. Rather, the Bible tells us that we all at one time had dirty, ugly, sinful hearts. And what God does, he takes out our dirty hearts and gives us a new heart, a heart that that loves the Lord and, and embraces him. In fact, it's really interesting, as I mentioned last week, Acts 16 tells us of the origin of the Philippian church and Paul and Timothy's arrival there and how he planted this church in the first converts. It's really interesting how Luke, the author of Acts, describes the first converts of the Philippian church. He describes them in a way that, that very much focuses on the fact that conversion is a work of God, that God is the one who begins our lives as Christians. For example, the very first convert of the Philippian church was Lydia. Paul and Timothy arrive in Philippi and they go down to this river with, where these women are, are meeting and Paul and Timothy tell them the gospel. Only Lydia is said to have responded. And notice how, how Luke puts it. He says, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And you wonder, well, why did Lydia believe and all these other women didn't? It was because the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention. Well, shortly after, Paul and Timothy are going around Philippi and they end up getting imprisoned. And they go to prison and they're sitting in prison and God sends a great earthquake. And this earthquake breaks open the prison doors. It breaks the shackles that were on the arms and legs of Paul and Timothy. And the Philippian jailer, realizing this is a work of God, says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It took an earthquake to get the Philippian jailer's attention that he needed to think about his eternal destiny. As one author said, it took a heaven-ordained catastrophe to bring the Philippian jailer to his knees. In fact, most of the Philippian congregation likely were pagan converts. They were once worshippers of pagan deities until the Lord got a hold of them and made them worshippers the true and living God. Some of you here tonight may have had stories similar to these pagan, I mean, these, these Philippian congregants. Some of you may not have grown up in Christian homes and came to the faith later on in life. Some of you may have been born in Christian homes and can't remember a day apart from knowing Christ. Paul is saying, either way, the story is the same. God is the one who ultimately claimed you for his own. But God does not just start us out. He does not just leave us on our own once he gets us into this game of the Christian life. He finishes what he has started in us. He brings this work to completion. You'll notice in verse 6, Paul, Paul uses this, this word completion to describe this new creation work that he's begun in our hearts. In fact, in Galatians 3, Paul uses the same word. And the Galatians were doing the very opposite of what Paul is saying here. 
Galatians 3.3 says, Paul says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected in the flesh? The Galatians thought that God saved them initially, and then he just left the work of sanctification up to them. They're on their own. Paul saying, are you so foolish? God doesn't just leave us. He's just as active in our sanctification as he is in our initial conversion. You'll notice the duration of this, this faithfulness of our God. He says, until the day of Christ. This is the day in which Christ will come back. He will issue in the new heavens and the earth. We will all have resurrected bodies. For all of whom God has opened their eyes to the gospel, God will surely keep until the very end. Again, boys and girls, just like a caterpillar. A caterpillar who goes through that, that great uh, transformative process, a cocoon to become this great butterfly. God's saying he will make sure that we become butterflies. We will one day be just like Christ. That's a promise. Paul is saying, you know, as, you, as you do see fruit in your lives, Philippians, I want you to know that that's a work of God in your life. And as you anticipate the days and months to come, you don't need to become discouraged thinking it's all up to you. But recognize that God will continue to be at work in your life, causing you to bear the fruits of love. And Paul prays the same thing again in the second half of verse 10 and verse 11. Paul prays that God would do as he promised, as he had promised in verse 6. That the Philippians' love would result in them being pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ on the last day. Then notice who the agent is in that prayer. Paul recognizes that our hope of being fully glorified only comes through Christ. As God will indeed finish the work that he's begun in our hearts. Well, this spring, a, a new documentary came out uh, for those who were um, a little depressed that there weren't any sports on TV, on Michael Jordan and his great run of championships with the Chicago Bulls in the 1990s. And it was fascinating to see behind the scenes his, his competitiveness, how, much, how he just willed his team to victories, to championships year after year. Now imagine if Jordan in the midst of this run, this historic run, sat his teammates down in the preseason and said, all right, guys, I think I'll, I'll play the first quarter with you, but then the, the, re- the rest of the three quarters are up to you. Well, I don't think that year would have turned out very well. Now, Michael Jordan not only needed to be there at the opening tip, but he needed to be there especially in the fourth quarter, down the stretch, until that final buzzer. In a similar, but in a much, much greater way, if we think of the Christian life like that of a game or athletic competition, it's not as if God just begins the opening tip with us and then goes to the bench and says, okay, you guys got it from here on out. No, God is with us every second of the way, willing us to victory, and he's ensuring that he will be with us on the court until that final, final buzzer and that we will walk off the court of the Christian life victors. That's what Paul's promising That's what God is promising and Paul's reminding us of here in our passage tonight. That we we will be victorious on that last day because of our faithful God and Father. We're brothers and sisters, even though clouds are a constant reality. Well, maybe not right now, but will soon be a constant reality for us. Not only literally, but metaphorically in, in the Christian life. 
Paul is wanting to remind us in this passage that the, the sun is still shining even in the midst of the clouds. And just as the sun gives life to this earth, the plants, the flowers, the vegetation of this earth, so too God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, gives us new life and causes the fruits of love to be born in our life. So let us be encouraged. Let us be encouraged this evening as we go out into another week of who God is, that he is a God who finishes what he starts and what God is and will continue to do in our lives. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we praise you that you do not change. We recognize that there are so many uncertainties in our lives, so many reasons to fear, to be discouraged, to be anxious. We ask that we would rest in the fact that you have pledged yourself to us in Christ. Encourage our hearts by your precious and very great promises. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.